This is Lindy Kaiser. Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Podcast. We're very excited to have with us today William Henderson. He's had a 35-year career in security and counterintelligence and has been a partner to clearance jobs, providing us great content and information and resources for a number of years. He's worked for the Defense Investigative Service, also the Defense Security Service. We asked him to chat with us today just to kind of get a little bit more information about all of the news that's out there about the Defense Security Service potentially taking back over control of its investigations, which is the vast majority of investigations that are conducted. Uh, The 2017 National Defense Authorization Act contained language requiring the Department of Defense to develop a plan to take over its own investigation. Secretary of Defense James Mattis approved that plan, and DSS seems very primed to take over those investigations with a lot of momentum to do so obviously pending congressional approval. Bill, I wanted to get your thoughts and your commentary, and again, that historical perspective having worked for DSS um, when it was conducting investigations. So this isn't really a new thing. It's a blast from the past again to take back over investigations. That said, when DSS did have investigations, it did things differently than the way we see OPM doing them now. So can you kind of speak to that a little bit? When DSS did conduct investigations, How is that different from what we saw at OPM and what we now see at the National Background Investigations Bureau? Yeah, there were significant differences in the way that DIS and later DSS managed investigations as compared to OPM. Back in the 90s, OPM privatized their field investigative function with the creation of USIS as an employee stock ownership company, and they transferred all their field investigative work to USIS. At the time, the Defense Security Service was conducting their investigations using federal employees at different field offices and resident offices around the United States. The big difference between OPM and and DSS was appropriated funds versus fee-for-service. OPM had operated on a fee-for-service basis where various federal agencies would request investigations from them, and those federal agency requesters would have to pay OPM for each investigation that they requested. The Defense Security Service had an annual appropriated budget. Um, At the time when I was a supervisor, I think our total budget was somewhere in the neighborhood of $260 million. Um, And about, I believe about 80% of that was being used to conduct personnel security investigations. That was the major difference. Uh, Much of OPM's work was suitability investigations for federal employment rather than security clearance investigations. The one major um, customer they had was the Department of Energy, and they did a lot of security clearance work for Department of Energy. Whereas uh, with DSS, all of their work was related to national security, and much of it had to do with security clearances. Because people in the Department of Defense are all in national security positions. Those are the major differences. OPM took over in, in around the 1990s. Is that correct? Was that? Yeah, you're talking about privatization? Uh, when, when the investigations transferred from, D, from DSS over to OPM? Uh, well, in about, in about the year 2000, uh, because of the horrendous backlog that existed um, at DSS, they actually transferred about, uh, I think, about 400,000 cases from the cases, not, not the personnel, from DSS to OPM uh, for OPM to do. And then I think the following year, they, they transferred about another 400,000 cases 
from DSS to OPM. So in 2000, 2001, uh, OPM started doing uh, DOD clearance work. It wasn't until March of 2005 when a DSS transferred their personnel security investigation function from, uh, from DSS over to OPM. And when they did that, they transferred about 1,400 uh, personnel uh, over to OPM. Okay, and then, because I was thinking back through the timeline and I remember, um, you know, the shift to move the investigations over to OPM, I didn't realize it was that, you know, kind of phased over um, timeline, but I knew it was, it was because there was criticism about DSS at that time. Uh, about their backlog, and I, you know, read articles about, you know, lack of transparency in the into the process. People couldn't get updates on, you know, timelines for their investigations. There was a big lack of, of consistency in terms of when um, investigations were conducted. And it sounds really similar to the criticisms we're getting from NBIB today. Does that, you know, does that kind of make any sense? Can you speak into, you know, some of the issues within? DSS or how it got into its own backlog situation, which led to OPM taking over those that investigative work? A couple of major reasons that the backlog came to being with, with DSS. In the 1990s, the investigative standards changed. They started requiring secret periodic reinvestigations at 10-year intervals, which previously been 15 years, and they required periodic reinvestigations for confidential clearances which had never been required before. This was an unfunded mandate uh, that DSS had to perform without any increase in their annual appropriation. When this was instituted, there was immediately a very large number of people that required periodic reinvestigations for their secret clearance. Previously, it was 15 years. Suddenly, it became 10 years. People had to start submitting reinvestigation requests, plus the, the confidential clearances. So. Overnight, there were like 400,000 people that required periodic reinvestigations for their confidential and secret clearances. Now, part of the backlog, uh, and they never really established the exact size of the backlog. I mean, part of that backlog was investigations that needed to be done, but had not even been submitted to DSS yet. The other portion of the backlog were actual cases held by DSS that were just sitting there waiting to be accomplished. So at the high point, probably about 2001, there were somewhere, I mean, the best guess by everybody was about a half a million cases that were sitting at DSS pending. That backlog was created, one, by the sudden requirement to, to, um, for periodic reinvestigations for secret and confidential clearances without any additional funding to do them. The second problem was that the number of field investigators within DSS had been reduced from a high of about 2,500 field investigators down to about 1,250 field investigators in the early 1990s. Back then, there was all this talk about a peace dividend, that the Berlin Wall had come down and the size of DOD would shrink, and they thought that consequently the number of security clearances would decrease. What happened in reality was, yes, the size of DOD decreased. When that happened, a larger percentage of people in DOD required a clearance because people started wearing two hats. They were doing two jobs instead of one, and that second job that they previously didn't have required a clearance. So the number of security clearance requests never decreased, 
even with the overall reduction within DOD. Nevertheless, the Defense Security Service was cut by about 40% in total manpower. Then you, like I said, then you add to that this requirement to do periodic reinvestigations. And then in the late 90s, in about 1999, they turned on a security clearance program called CCMS, Case Control Management System, which was an internal system to DIS used at the headquarters, and um, there was a field interface to it called FIMS. The system was poorly designed. It was budgeted for about $100 million to get it operational. When it did go into operation, my understanding is that they didn't run a parallel processing. They just turned off one system and then turned on the new system, and the new system didn't work properly. Later on, they estimated that it was going to cost about $160 million to fix it. But the CCMS at one point had thousands and thousands of cases in the system that had been loaded in but couldn't be opened in the sense that it couldn't be looked at by a case analyst and uh, dispatched to the field. They were just stuck in the system, and it, was, it took months to pry these cases out of the, uh, the CCMS system and actually get them working in, in the field. CCMS had problems, just ongoing problems, and I think in about 2001, DSS was required to turn the system over to the Air Force so that the Air Force could maintain it because DSS wasn't doing a proper job. The CCMS was probably the third part of the problem. Like I said, the periodic reinvestigations that were suddenly required, the 40% reduction in overall personnel at DSS, and then CCMS didn't work. And that's what really caused the um, really exacerbated the backlog problem. There were a series of uh, memoranda and um, directives from the Undersecretary, not the Undersecretary of Defense, but the Assistant Secretary of Defense, I believe, C3I, Command, Control, Communications, and Intelligence, which had oversight over the Defense Security Service. And there were a a lot of memos and, and directives flying around. Never once did they suggest increasing funding for the Defense Security Service to conduct the investigations. They did allocate more money for fixing CCMS, and the DSS budget actually went up, but more money was not allocated to field investigations, and DSS was never authorized to hire additional personnel to handle the backlog. By 2003, uh, my feeling is I was not at the headquarters, okay? So I was gleaning information from a lot of different sources. What appeared to me was a, a decision within DOD to just offload this problem to somebody else and, and pay them to handle it, which resulted in the uh, Intelligence Reform and Counterterrorism Act, the IRTPA, which directed the establishment of a single investigative agency to do the personnel security investigations. But there was a little clause in there, to the extent practical, which authorized um, a a few intelligence agencies um, and law enforcement agencies to continue doing their own personnel security investigations. You bring up a great point with the funding aspect of this. Clearance jobs obviously is kind of agency neutral in terms of who conducts the investigations. You know, we've been asked, you know, what do you what do you think of the plan? Obviously, we want whatever happens that, you know, can get get personnel cleared the fastest. And a part of me thinks, well, DSS might have better funding 
potential right now. That is until you look at how Congress is going about getting the NDAA passed and all of the issues there. DSS could run into the same funding issues. You know, OPM has a big issue with getting the investigations done is the money required to get them done. If DSS could have this great inflow of money, super, I don't necessarily know under a continuous resolution status, you know, how that funding gets any better. Do you have any thoughts on kind of that funding piece and why that's such a big problem? I don't see OPM as having a funding problem because their fee for service, the the funding problem is that their requesters, Army, Navy, Air Force. When you look at Army, Navy, and Air Force and, and you look at their overall budget, Personnel security is just a minuscule portion of their budget. The military services should not have a problem finding money to do personnel security investigations. OPM doesn't have a problem with funding because they're fee-for-service. They get paid for every investigation that they do. The problem that DSS had was they, they had an appropriated budget, a certain amount of money, but they had no control over how many investigations they were required to do with that money. They had very little oversight from DOD at the time. And nobody was going to bat for them to get their appropriation increased and even allow them to hire more people to do it. This time around, they're going to transfer the PSI function back to DSS. If they try to do this appropriated fund, I think they're going to run into the same problems that they had previously. If they use the fee-for-service model, which DSS had considered in the 90s but rejected for, for a number of different reasons, Uh, That was a mistake. They should have, I believe, they should have gone over from appropriated fund to fee-for-service back in the 90s. A lot of it is going to depend on on how DSS chooses to handle this PSI function uh, when they they take it over. If they go with fee-for-service, I think they have a much better chance of succeeding and doing it well. And they're no longer responsible for any of the computer systems that support it, that's all being handled by the Defense Manpower Data Center, who have real expertise in dealing with large computer systems. That part of the problem that existed back in the late 90s and and early 2000s is also not going to be a problem this time around. They get those two pieces right, the fee-for-service and handling the computer systems. And then the third aspect of it is the culture that they're going to create, the cultural environment in which they're going to operate their field investigative component and how they're going to structure it, um, the extent to which they're going to use contractors. If that's done correctly, then they have, I think they have a very good potential to succeed and get the uh, backlog under control and, and do a much better job than has been previously done. Okay, and on that kind of topic of how things will be structured, DSS did publish a request for information, which isn't the same as requesting proposals, um, last month. I know you took a look at that for before I, t- I taint the conversation. So what did you think of that RFI that you saw? Well, I, I'm not sure what the purpose was because, you know, my assessment is that the investigation service, the, the contract investigation serv- service providers are going to tell DSS essentially the same thing that they're doing for OPM. They could have just as easily asked OPM how it's being handled. They didn't have to go to to the contractors to, to get that information, unless they're, they're, you know, they're hoping that the contractors are going to come up with something new and, and novel that, that, that they haven't been using with OPM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know, you know, it seems like, at least from the congressional testimony, DSS is kind of counting a lot on continuous evaluation to completely take the place of PRs. 
for me, I don't I, I quite understand how that differs under DOD than it would under NBIB. The um, continuous evaluation process is being done primarily by DOD, not by uh, not by the other agencies. There shouldn't be any difference in continuous evaluation as it's being done now by uh, NBIB or how it will be done by DOD. It's not that NBIB is really doing continuous evaluation. It's that DOD is doing it, and then they're feeding any adverse results over to NBIB for further investigation. That's I don't think that's a factor in the transfer of the PSI function from NBIB over to DSS. And then one other aspect that came up in the congressional testimony was the topic of field offices. If DSS takes over investigations, do you think those NBIB field offices will shut down? Will the existing DSS are the existing DSS field offices equal or adequate to what NBIB already has? Do we already have that duplication in place? Are we looking to kind of add more field offices. Do you have any perspective there? When this happens, the Defense Security Service is going to have to go out and establish field offices. They, they have a network of industrial security field offices right now. That will not be adequate to house field office staff for the in, investigators. Fortunately, at the moment, a large majority, we're talking probably 80-90% of field investigators uh, work from home. They don't go to a field office, and their interaction with their superiors is all done electronically. Most of them don't see their supervisors very often. It's not going to, initially at least, it won't be the same type of field office structure that they had prior to 1990 when everything started to change. And in the 90s, and in the late 90s, the Defense Security Service began shutting down their resident offices and field offices and well, it's significantly reducing the numbers, and then eventually those field offices transferred over to OPM. Now, OPM will have to maintain their, their own field offices. DSS actually could you know, rent half of the space or two-thirds of the space that currently exists to house OPM staff and operate out of those centers for a while until they determine exactly where they want to place their field offices. The uh, clients that OPM services will not be the same as the one that DSS services. DSS needs to be around major military installations and major defense contractor uh, centers. Fortunately, OPM made some shifts when they when they took over them the DSS PSI function and they moved offices around to accommodate the DoD customers. When they separate, when OPM reverts to only their previous customers, they're going to want to move because they have no need to have an office, large offices, say near Fort Meade or some other you know, large military installations. Their need to have offices there are going to disappear, and they're going to go back to major metropolitan areas where they were previously. They can accommodate it, the field structure, but it's it's not going to be quite as simple as they might imply. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Security Clearance Podcast. Please visit news.clearancejobs.com for more security clearance news, insights, and information. Have a great day.